Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. If you're new or you're visiting, my name is Drew and uh, one of the pastors here on staff and excited to be able to share the message with you. Uh, We started this year off with a series about prayer. It was called Seek Him and it led us into a week of 24-7 prayer. How many of y'all got to participate in 24-7 prayer? Anybody? It was really good. Amen. Powerful, impactful time. Uh, for us as individuals, but also for our church. And so this week, we're going to wrap up our series, Seek Him. Next week, we're starting something new. And there is a a lot of things to recap, but I will not attempt to do that. What I will do is encourage you to just go back and check out the sermons starting in January, graceharvestchurch.org, and uh, that'll catch you up to speed. Amen? The, the difficult thing about trying to wrap up a series on prayer is that for us as believers, prayer does not stop, right? It is a discipline. Did you know that you're a saint? You're a saint. You, you maybe not feel like a saint, but you're a saint, and that's the work of the saint is to pray. So it doesn't stop. I think I can speak for our pastoral staff and say that um, this is not the end of something, right? But hopefully it's the beginning of a good season, a season of growth, Uh, of health and that we wouldn't actually pull back from prayer, but we would press into prayer. Don't take a rest. Don't stop now. Keep praying. Amen. We need to continue to partner with God in what he wants to do in the earth, and we need to find his mind for us as individuals and as a church, and we do that through prayer. Amen. So this morning, we if you're looking for a title to this message, it's called Joy Partnered with Gratitude Invites the Presence. Joy partnered with gratitude invites the presence. And so we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. I'm going to read this together. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that it is as relevant today as it was then, as it will always be. Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would soften hearts. Lord, open our ears to hear what you would say. We thank you for your presence. Lord, your faithfulness, Lord, we thank you that you're here right now. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Amen. The letter to Philippians is a very powerful book. We call it a book. It's a letter. It's really short. There's a lot of depth to it. Um, And it's marked by joy and gratitude in the midst of suffering. Paul was not having a good time when he wrote the letter. He was in prison. And earlier in the book, he alludes to the fact that he actually might die. As he's writing, he says, I might be poured out as a drink offering to the Lord. I might not make it. And then later in chapter 4, which is really familiar to a lot of us as we start to read it, you'll, you'll remember it for sure. But he tells the readers that he found the secret to being content. He found the secret to being content. And it was not finding the right job. It wasn't going to the right college, the right school. It wasn't the perfect house. It wasn't a new car, but it was Jesus. 
That's the source, the secret that he lets the Philippians in on. And what he lets us in on as readers is the secret to contentment. It's the presence of God in our circumstances, despite our circumstances, right? And so prayer cannot be just a shopping list of things that I want, but it's an invitation for the presence of God. To pray is to actually invite the Lord into our circumstances and into our space. Amen? And it starts with joy. In verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And what I like to, Pastor Doug, if you've heard him say this, he says, use your holy imagination. And so I like to use my holy imagination when I'm thinking about these, these texts. And as tradition would have, Paul would write a letter and then someone else would read it before the church. And I think it's interesting that he says rejoice twice. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Hold on a second. Let me say it one more time. In case you missed it the first time, in case you read too quickly, again, I say rejoice. And it's real joy. It's a joy that's rooted in knowing Jesus and sitting with this truth. Are you ready? I might not be okay. Things might not be okay. This is not pretend joy where we pretend that nothing bad will happen. That's not real. You've all experienced that, right? That's a fantasy. It's sitting with the truth of things might not be okay. And it's knowing that whatever happens, that I am, in, I am secure in Christ. That I know how the story ends. And that by putting my faith in Jesus, I will rise again with him. I believe that. Do you believe that? Yeah. Amen. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18, Paul says this as well. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outers, the kids are having a great time. Maybe we'll get there, okay? Let's, let's wait till the end. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so we don't lose heart and joy remains available for us because we are a people who keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? And so we pray with joy because of what Jesus did. For our sake, he carried the shame of the cross. Amen? We pray with joy because we are loved. You are loved. We didn't earn his love. He loved us while we were still sinners, while we were far away from him, while we were rebels. And we pray with joy because we are seen and heard, even if you feel like you are invisible to everybody else around you, you are seen by the Father, and he hears you. Amen. Amen? This is a weird way to say this, but I wrote it purposely because it sounded interesting to me. 
I will never not be amazed at the love of God for me and for other people. I will never not be amazed at the love of God for me and for other people. And mostly as I get to know other people, I I realize that it's really, that's real. That's very real. That's a joke. Sometimes I I find myself sitting and, and just kind of contemplating, usually in the morning before my kids wake up, I've got coffee, and thinking about all the things that are happening in my life, in my world, and in the world, and going, why in the world does God love us again? And that is something I think is deeply mysterious that I probably every morning will continue to wake up for the rest of my life and know that it's the truth and yet still go, that is a mystery at the same time. And then in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And this is a statement about having Christ-like character in what you do. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And if you look through various translations, the word that's actually translated reasonableness, it means gentleness. And it describes a characteristic of Jesus that is not weakness. I think we've kind of misunderstood what it means to be gentle. But it's a generosity towards other people. And it's a strength that's actually used in the right context. The God of heaven and earth used his strength for our good. He used it to save us. And maybe you deserved it. I did not deserve it. And yet he still did it. And he goes on to say the Lord is at hand. That he's near. That the Lord is with you now and he's with you always. This is such a wild phrase to me, the Lord is at hand. Because Paul was experiencing what he was literally writing about in prison. It was true for Paul as he was writing, the Lord is with him. It was true for the original audience as they heard the letter being read. And it's true for us now, and it's true for us in the future. It is always true the Lord is near. He's at hand. And this is an echo of Psalm 145, 18. And it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. There's a little caveat at the end. Pastor Doug talked a little bit about this last week, about having forgiveness. But it means that the state of your heart in prayer really matters. It's very important. And I've said this before. You can fool other people, but you cannot fool God. God sees right through the facades that we all put up at different times. And he knows your heart. And then in verse 6 it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Everyone in this room has probably been in an argument. Yeah? It's in church. Don't lie. Okay? 
I know you have. <laughs> if you have siblings or if you're married, you've been in an argument, okay? If you're married, you might have got one this morning before you even got to church, okay? It's just that easy to do. <laughs> but here's what you don't say when you're in the middle of an argument. I don't know from experience, of course. Um, you don't tell your, let's just say your spouse. You don't tell your spouse to calm down. Don't do it. Some of you already have, and I can tell because you have a big smile on your face. <clears throat> and you're like, I did it. I've done it. You don't tell someone who's very agitated, fired up to call. Them. You can. It just it probably won't work would be my experience. <clears throat> and so I love the beginning of this line. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't do that. Wrestle with anxiety, worry. I could, I could Google something really quick and just kind of be like, this half of the room right here is probably riddled with anxiety. No. <laughs> just don't be anxious. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Just don't be anxious. Oh, this whole time I've been going about it the wrong way. Don't be anxious. <clears throat> but what is keeping you up at night? What makes you anxious? Is it your health? Is it money? Is it school? Your friends? Is it lack of friends? Your future? Job security? Retirement? The state of the world? Existential dread? <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Get off social media for a little bit. Turn off your TV screens for a little bit. We'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> but that's a good place to start. But the scripture doesn't leave us here with no way forward. Pray. Offer that up to God. In 1 Peter 5, 7, we're actually instructed to cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on him. There are things that all of us will walk through at some point. And you may be walking through something like that right now, in this very moment. You are not meant to carry it by yourself. You're not meant to carry it alone. It's to, we are meant to invite the Lord into our circumstances and into our space. The Lord is present. And I think sometimes we forget who we have access to what we have access to, the resource of heaven and what the presence of God can do in our lives. It says, bring everything to the Lord. And I'm reminded of the story <clears throat> of David. If, if you've been a Christian most of your life, all of your life, or you've just read the Bible a lot, the story of David throughout First and Second Samuel and then into Chronicles, you'll notice there's this phrase that repeats over and over. And it's David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. And there's this contrast between David and Saul that the Bible is, is teaching us, and that is, is that Saul did it the wrong way, basically. That's the short version. But David's heart was after God genuinely 100%. Even though he screwed up a lot. You probably know that. He did some crazy stuff. 
But he came back and he repented. And the story of his life was someone who had a heart after God. He didn't stop pursuing the Lord. He did not stop inquiring of the Lord. Stop trying to do things in your own strength and inquire of the Lord. Invite him into your circumstances. And here's the key to it all. As you've read through that, it's kind of situated in the middle, but it's gratitude. It's thanksgiving. And gratitude works two different ways for us. This is kind of an aside, but does anyone like a complainer? Is this like a universal truth? <laughs> I don't, you could go down to the grocery store or Safeway and be like, do you like people who complain? Probably not. I know I love when my wife and I do all this work to make an awesome meal for the kids and they just do nothing but complain. That makes me so happy. It feels so good. No one likes a complainer. But the first thing is, is that gratitude moves the heart of God. Giving thanks to the Lord is giving him what's due. And there is a, a strange tension sometimes in, in my own thoughts around this subject because on one hand, it's right and it's true to hold God to his word. This is actually okay to do. This is actually biblical to remind God of his promises. You'll see it in a lot of the stories. Like, Lord, you said you were going to do this. And it's good to pour out our hearts before the Lord. You see that a lot in the Psalms. Looks a lot like complaining. <laughs> but it always comes back around. But on the other hand, and this is the tension. On the other hand, God doesn't owe me anything. And I refuse to live my life thinking that way. I will not live that way. God doesn't owe me a thing. Life and breath are a gift. And depending on what season you find yourself in, sometimes that doesn't feel true. Sometimes life feels a little bit like punishment. But I remind my soul of his goodness, of his steadfast love, of his mercy, of his grace. And I say, it is well with my soul. Y'all remember that hymn, it is well with my soul? And the second thing that gratitude does is it moves our heart. It moves our heart. This is a practice that we must have deeply ingrained in us as followers of Jesus. If I practice looking at what I have more than at what I don't, I will be happier. Something in my mind will literally change. This is scriptural, but this is scientific as well. <laughs> there are universities doing all sorts of studies around this thing. What they're finding to be true is what the Bible has taught for thousands of years is true. What do you know? <laughs> I don't think that more things will make me happy. And I don't want to speak for you. Things are nice. I'm a guitar player. So there's always a new guitar around the corner. As soon as I buy a new one, I'm like, ooh, yeah, that other one. 
But what I have found in all the things that I thought that I wanted and that I needed was that they were not bad or good, but they were just a shadow of God's goodness. They're just not him. Even if they come from him, even if we believe that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, they're just not him. And gratitude is right perspective. It's the recognition of what we have in Jesus and this idea that everything comes from him ultimately. The very breath that animates us comes from him. Everything that we have is from him. But the truth is, is that there's nothing like him. There's nothing like him and his personal presence. But you can't have gratitude, in my opinion, without humility. Because humility is the deepest understanding of ourselves in comparison to a creator. And one of the greatest mysteries of the incarnation that Jesus humbled himself. That the creator became the created thing and he lived like us and then he went to the cross and died a shameful, horrible death for us. The mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the love of God. And it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You've heard that before. In Second Chronicles 7.14, says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And then in Job chapter 38, if you've read through Job, it's a doozy. You're probably really familiar with this text. But it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. That means put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants, whichever. Dress for action like a man and I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you? At that point you just say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I was. And I'm saying this to myself as much as to anyone in this room. But there are places that we cannot go in God without gratitude, without thanksgiving, without that being the first foot forward in our walk with God and our approach to prayer. Gratitude opens doors and it moves the heart of God. And then in verse 7, y'all doing okay? Okay. I guess we're not going to get to that kids' class level type of vibe in here. It's okay. <laughs> Appreciate you. Someone's trying. 
And then in verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. The peace of God is better than our peace. Right? The peace of God, the, the peace that we can attain apart from God is fleeting. It's a moving target. It's good and it comes and it goes. You can fix all the things in your house, your car, your spouse. Don't, don't do that. That was a joke. Sometimes my humor is very under the... So I have to say that was a joke. Don't be doing that. <clears throat> Don't do, don't do that. <laughs> you can get your bills paid. You can get your taxes done. But the truth is, you can't and probably never will fix everything in your life that causes you stress or worry or concern. But the peace of God surpasses our understanding. It goes beyond what we see and what we are actually experiencing. It's the empowering piece to say, yes, I see what's happening in my life, in my mind, in our culture, in the world, and I don't have the answers, but I'm giving that up to God in prayer. I'm casting that on him in prayer because he has the shoulders for that, and I don't. The peace of God is peace in spite of circumstances. As you are in the middle of the storm, he becomes the refuge. He becomes the rock and the shelter from that storm. But you're still in the storm. And that peace will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. It's better than our peace. Cast your cares on the Lord. And then in verse 8 through 9, he says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And I love this practical instruction that we get. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. What is true? What is honorable? Justice, holiness, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. And he says, practice thinking on these things. Dwell on these things. Set your heart and your mind to those things, which are all the character and the nature of Jesus. He embodies all of those things. And I think sometimes this is simplistic. We just don't do that. We don't think on those things. We don't dwell on those things. I want to ask you a question that I ask myself and I, I've had to ask myself over the last few years is, who is discipling me? Who am I being discipled by? Because the fun thing to say is Jesus, of course. Well, I'm, of course I'm being discipled by Jesus. But I, I had to start looking at how much time do you spend on social media, whatever your preferred platform is. 
how much time you spend binge watching whatever thing that you're into. How much time you fixate on the news and what's happening in the world. In contrast to how much time you're in the word, you're in prayer, you are in the community of believers, you're in each other's presence, you're talking about the Lord, you're fellowshipping, you're praying. Don't be surprised if you find yourself anxious, full of anxiety and all those things, and you have a bunch of the spiritual disciplines and priorities completely backwards. It wasn't a shock to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's, that makes sense. And this is really interesting to me, this, this last text, because at first Paul says this, as you pray like this, the peace of God is with you. Some of you caught this because you're smart and you're smarter than I am. And then later he says, as you practice this, the God of peace is with you. It's not an accidental flip-flop of words. The God of peace is with you. As you do this and commit to its rehearsal and the discipline, something changes. God sits with you and it becomes relational. And we need this so much more than we need the next thing. And that's not to say there isn't legitimate needs that we all have. I understand. The Lord understands. But presence changes everything. Because it is quite literally part of the process for us as people that follow Jesus to become more like Jesus. You may not be a New Year's resolution type of person, but guess what your New Year's resolution is and always is? To become more like Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And I think we've been sold some lies and some half-truths when it comes to connection as it pertains to presence. A picture of someone on social media, a text message, a Zoom meeting, someone's face on a screen is not the same as sitting in someone's presence. I think we need to stop lying to ourselves about what it means to sit and be in someone's presence and to have real connection. We're living in a time that is wealthy in communication, but it's destitute in real connection. We live in a time that is rich in knowledge and it's bankrupt in wisdom. And we have a thousand teachers and not enough fathers. We need the presence more than we know. We need to be a people who are marked by the presence of the Father. Like Moses when he saw the Lord, as he was seeking the face of the Lord, show me your glory. And he was different after he encountered the presence of God. He didn't look the same. And he said, I'm not going to go anywhere unless you go with me. And then if you remember, Jesus told the disciples before, before the Holy Spirit was poured out, he said, don't go until the helper comes. Stay here until that happens. And so 
I'm here to remind us that prayers of gratitude invite the presence of God. This practice will change you. It changes how you see God. It changes how you see yourself, how you see your circumstances, how you see other people. And it is a guard against what would come in and disrupt the joy and the peace that we have in Jesus. It's your defense against worry and anxiety and whatever you're wrestling with is cast your cares on the Lord and invite him into your space.